Thanks for joining us for the Heritage Bible Church podcast from Lincoln, Nebraska. We desire to be a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify Christ and love people well. There's no secret to those who know me that I love Michael Jordan. As a kid, I wore a wristband on my elbow. I spent hours in the gym working on my jump shot, a fadeaway, and reverse layups. If only I could dunk. As a teenager and into college, it moved to a wristband on the elbow, occasionally a sleeve on my leg, and Jordans on my feet. Some things even still don't change. Even Jordan socks, if I could find them. I drank Gatorade. I stuck out my tongue when driving to the hoop. I dunked a few times in practice. I sang the song, I Want to Be Like Mike, and I meant it. I tried as much as possible for a 5'11 white kid from Norfolk to be like Mike. Can you tell? As Christians, we're called to pattern our lives after someone. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke, learn from me, become my apprentice. Luke 6.46, Jesus says, The disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his master. Imitation is real in Christianity. So if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, I should want to be like him in every way possible. Can you tell? This morning, my aim is to show that Jesus embraced rest as a major part of His mission, and so should we. I want to start by saying this as a reminder, today we are emphasizing rest. Later, we will do a series on work. As we commit to teaching and preaching the Scriptures, come along for the journey, not just this week. By emphasizing one thing, we are not de-emphasizing another. Jesus is for rest, and Jesus is for work. It is possible for both of these statements to be true. It is also possible that you and I need one of these statements more than the other on a given day. I imagine that if you and I followed Jesus in the days that He walked this earth, we might walk away from one of his teaching sessions thinking that he overplayed his hand. However, if we were to follow Jesus for the course of his public ministry, I imagine we would be wowed with his wisdom, discernment, grace, and boldness as he addressed sufficiently the objections that we might make. Last week, we discussed how the Sabbath had been made a burden instead of a blessing. But we sometimes in our busy culture mistake the blessing for a burden. The gracious gift of our God for something that is actually a hindrance. It stops us. This week, we look at the life of Jesus. And as I said before, my aim is to show that Jesus embraced rest as a major part of His mission, and so should we. 
Jesus embraced sleeping and slowing down as well as time away as part of the mission. We'll start with sleep. We talked about this a little bit last week. Matthew chapter 8, Mark 4, Luke 8 cover this story. Luke 8 tells us that this was one day. So this wasn't even at night. Jesus and His disciples in the boat, traveling across the sea, and Jesus is asleep. Asleep in the boat. And you guys know what happens. The storm comes, and this was no small thing. The Scriptures tell us the waves were breaking into the boat. The boat was filling. And this was a big deal. Because if you remember, several of the fishermen, professional fishermen, were part of the group of Jesus' disciples. They were not new to being on a boat. They were not new to having to deal with storms. And yet in the midst of all of this, Jesus sleeps. He sleeps. He was tired. He embraced this opportunity to sleep. And the disciples wake Him. And remember what they say? Don't you care, Jesus, that we're about to die? And Jesus' response to them is telling, remember this as we move to the next point of the sermon. Jesus says, where is your faith? Why don't you trust? Jesus didn't just embrace sleep. He also slowed down. When you consider the life of Jesus and specifically His public ministry, it was really comprised of three years. It's amazing that the Messiah, the Son of God, coming to earth on a very specific mission would not just go crazy, right? For three years. If we sat down and kind of worked through a strategy to try to maximize the three years that we have to accomplish the mission, not one of the key points I can imagine on the whiteboard would be rest. Not one of the points would be like, let's slow down. Not one of the points would be, let's withdraw and go away. Yet Jesus embraced this. We talked about this a few weeks ago in John chapter 2. There's the wedding in Cana. I love that Dustin brought this up. I think it's so cool about the life of Jesus. Jesus went to the wedding. And it wasn't like a short cameo where it's like, I'm coming in, I'm turning the water into wine, and I'm out of here. He's at the wedding. I think about Lazarus' death. News comes to Jesus that Lazarus, his good friend, is near death. 
And Jesus drops everything and goes to be with Lazarus right in that moment. It's not what the text says. Two days later, they go, Lazarus is dead. Why? Jesus had a mission. He wasn't going to be hurried. And he goes and he raises Lazarus from death, proving that he's no mere man. Another story that comes to my mind in Jesus slowing down is when the children come to him. Do you remember the response of the disciples? Get these kids out of here. We got more important things to do, Jesus. There's places to go, people to meet, things to get done, and Jesus says, Bring the kids. Bring them here. And they sit on his lap and he blesses them. How cool is that? We read on several occasions that Jesus would go from the crowds in his public time of teaching to a private session with his disciples. The disciples were like, Jesus, we had no idea what's going on out here. So Jesus would take them aside, explain further, and sometimes they still didn't get it. But Jesus embraced slowing down for many different reasons. Jesus also embraced time away. I said this before, but three years of public ministry, we probably would not think that rest is high on the list of the things that we want to push for. And yet when Jesus begins His public ministry, He doesn't immediately go to the synagogue or the temple. Do you remember where He goes? The Scriptures tell us, Matthew 4, Mark 1, Luke 4, that the Spirit led Him where? To the wilderness. He fasted 40 days and nights. He was tempted by the devil. Mark 1 tells us He was with the wild animals. Angels ministered to Him. This is crazy, right? 40 days, Jesus? Couldn't we have done like four? Seems like this would have been better. We're running out of time. And yet Jesus, we're going to see in more texts as we walk through this, embraced places like the wilderness, embraced what the Scripture refers to as desolate places. It's actually a place of strength for Him. A place of refreshing for Him. A place of reviving for Him so that He could actually do the mission. This goes hand in hand. The language of the Scripture says desolate place over and over in the Gospels. Jesus in Matthew 14 goes to a desolate place after He hears of John the Baptist's death. The crowds find Him 
in the desolate place. And it leads to the feeding of the 5,000. Mark 1.35 tells us that Jesus went to a desolate place to pray. Mark 6, probably the most directly applicable text for our topic of rest for you and I to take away this morning. Jesus tells His disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. This was part of the mission for Jesus. He also went to the mountain. Matthew 14 talks of this. He's up on the mountain by himself to pray. He was there alone. John 6.15, he was on the mountain by himself. The Scripture also has language of Jesus withdrawing. He spent all night in prayer, Luke 6. Luke 22, he'd go to the Mount of Olives as was his custom. If you think about when he goes to the garden, the night of his betrayal, why did Judas know where they were? This was a regular thing for him. I don't want to overplay this. I don't want to say more than the Scripture says. I merely want to point out this. Jesus embraced rest, slowing down, and getting away as part of the mission. He did. We move to our second point this morning, which is the point that really drives home why He could do this. Jesus embraced sleeping, slowing down, withdrawing. He embraced rest because He trusted His Father. This is the peace that separated Jesus from everyone else. When we talk about sin, the root of all sin is really what? Unbelief. A lack of trust. And Jesus in His perfection did not lack there. He fully trusted. Rest and trust are inextricably linked. When you trust, you will rest. When you doubt, you will not. Why could Jesus sleep in the boat? Well, what did He rebuke the disciples for? Their lack of trust. In the wilderness with the devil, what does He respond to the devil with? The words of His God. And I love this one text particularly that's in there, and it says this, you shall not test the Lord your God. Why? You don't test someone that you trust because you don't need to. Why could Jesus sleep, slow down, withdraw when the mission was this important? Because He trusted His Father. This kind of trust is not just sleep. But this kind of trust leads to peace, to joy, to ultimate rest. Think about the Old Testament. The story of the Exodus. 
This pictures this so well for us, and as we get ready to dive into a text in Hebrews, it's going to set the stage really well. God delivers the children of Egypt, and the Scripture tells us with a mighty hand. And this story, I shared this a little bit last week, is one that really just blows my mind about how quickly people can move on. Do you remember how long it was before they were out of Egypt when they start to complain? Days. And if I were there, like one of the questions that I would want to ask, and yet the truth is, I probably would have been in a similar boat to the Israelites. But one of the questions that I would want to ask them is, don't you remember what He did? That He led you out with signs and wonders. Do you remember the frogs? How about the locusts? How about the flies? How about the Passover? Do you see the fire? How about the big old cloud? The Red Sea parted. You don't trust Him? The text of the Scripture says this, that the children of Israel put God to the test. Over and over. What's a simple paraphrase for us today? They don't trust Him. They don't trust the promise because after all, God was bringing them out of Egypt, leading them to a what type of land? Promised land. So God says in the text that we're going to get to in a moment, as well as in the Old Testament, that you will not enter the promised land of rest. That generation, you'll remember, wanders in the wilderness. Why? Because of unbelief. A lack of trust. So turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. This is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Hebrews chapter 3. As most of you know, my favorite book is Ephesians, but it is followed pretty closely by Hebrews. This is rich. We don't have time to dig into this crazy deep today. But one of the beautiful pictures that this is going to paint for us is the direct link between Jesus' trust in His Father and how that ties directly into rest. 
Jesus' trust in His Father and how that ties directly into rest. Look at verse 7, Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This rest this rest was not possible for the children of Israel because of their unbelief. Here's what the text says, that unbelieving hearts lead to falling away from God. Today our goal is not to take apart all of what that means to fall away. The point is just this. An unbelieving heart leads to falling away from God. Whereas in verse 14, we share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How could that be translated? We share in Christ if we trust to the end. Verse 16 and following, those who rebelled, those who sinned, those who were disobedient, all of these things linked together were not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. We don't trust you, God. So from there, we move into chapter 4. Verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith or by trust. For we who have believed or trusted enter that rest. As He said, I swore in My wrath they shall not enter My rest, although His works were finished from the foundation of the world. For He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this passage He said, they shall not enter My rest. 
since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In Hebrews, when you see obedience and disobedience, really what this is driving at is belief and unbelief. What's the point of all this? It would be easy to get lost in some of this to try to follow through some of these pieces. Here's the point. Sabbath rest is available to you if you cease from your works and trust. For those of us who celebrate and love and cling to salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, this should be encouragement for our souls. It's often said when we have discussions with people of what would you say to God if He asked why He should let you into heaven or let you into His eternity or let you in this context into His rest? And here is the answer for followers of Jesus. My trust is in Christ! You want to keep going, John? No, I don't. That's it. That's all I got. All my eggs are in this basket. I've got nothing else. This is my hope. It's so beautiful. Verse 10, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. We're clinging by faith to the promise of our God. <coughs> 4 verse 14 says, We hold fast our confession. This language we see throughout Hebrews that we don't cast away our confidence that we keep running with endurance, that we don't stop trusting. So how does this tie to Jesus? How does this tie to Jesus and specifically His trust of the Father? Well, chapter 5 answers that question for us. Look at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers 
and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a Son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This text is awesome. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. What comes to your mind when you hear that? For me, the first story that jumps in my mind is Gethsemane, right? In the garden, right before His betrayal, His arrest, which leads to His crucifixion. But certainly it didn't just have to be that moment. There may have been other times where Jesus prayed with tears. Jesus' mission was not easy. Jesus in Gethsemane asked what? That this cup might pass from me. And yet He finishes with nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why? Because He trusted His Father. Now get this. He offered these prayers to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. We might look at that and go, wait a second, He still died. But think through this with me. Who raised Him up? You guys going to answer this? God raised Him up. Who was He having to trust? His Father. We read on in this text and there's phrases in here that we're like, wait a second, what? Verse 8, Hebrews 5, although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. He learned obedience? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what we know it doesn't mean because of what was just said in chapter 4. Jesus was in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin. It can't mean that He was moving from a place of disobedience to obedience. It can't mean that. So what can it mean? That He moved from a place of incomplete obedience to complete obedience or untested obedience to tested. As Jesus is walking through the mission here on earth, every step of the way, what is He proving? I trust the Father. Isn't this good? 
Verse 9, and being made perfect. We could maybe state it better this way, and showing himself to be perfect. He is now able to become the source of what? Eternal salvation. But that's not really that cool. No, it is. He is now able to become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What do we think when we think obedience in Hebrews? Trust. Do you see this chain? Jesus embraces his mission to the full. Why? Because he trusts his Father so that even in the midst of the hardship, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the suffering, he's able to rest. Why? Because he trusts. And he offers that to us. So what about you? What about me? How does this connect to us? Well, I hope that the most clear point of application for us right from the start is this. That if your trust is in anything other than Christ alone, you have not and will not enter His rest. So this morning, I plead with you, if that's not where you are, come to Christ. Place your trust and your hope and your confidence in Him. To save you from your sins, to secure your future, you will not be put to shame. But this connects to more than just our eternal security. There's a very real peace in which we get to experience rest here. I think of the words of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't know exactly what that is. It doesn't sound like a fun place. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they provide comfort to me. Why? I trust my shepherd. I'm going to lie down in green pastures. I'm going to be beside still waters. My soul is going to be restored. Why? I trust him. Psalm 56.3. This was a verse that I was taught at a young age because I was scared often at night. And this is a verse that is so precious to me because 
My daughter knows this well. She's often scared at night. And we say this together. Psalm 56.3 When I am afraid, I put my trust in You. Psalm 127, verse 2, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Why are we anxious? Why are we toiling? Do we trust? Because it says He gives to His beloved sleep. Psalm 4, In peace I will both lie down and sleep for You alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Do you trust that? Do I trust God for my daily provision, for my work, for my protection, for my family's protection? I touched on this a little bit last week, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this today. I work in the construction industry and it is so easy for me to think that John is the one who provides work for his business. I am the one who meets with clients. I am the one who builds out estimates. I am the one who does follow-up. I am the one. I am the one. I am the one. I am the one. Who gives me clients to connect with? Who gives me favor in their eyes to secure a job with them? Who gives me the ability to perform this work? Friends, it's God. Do I trust Him? This is certainly not a testimony to my business prowess because I don't think I have tremendous business prowess. When we moved back here several years ago, I started my own business not entirely knowing what was going on. And there has not been a day that since it has started that I have wondered where I was going to work. Not because I'm amazing, but because God is faithful. I can trust Him. Do I trust God? As we get ready to wrap this up, I want to encourage you guys with something this morning. There is a very real piece in our culture of a fear of missing out that drives us to constantly be doing something and rarely ever resting. So when I think about the life of Jesus, I think there are parallels here. Jesus, when he was somewhere, was fully present there. I think of the stories that we covered with the children 
at the wedding. In our culture today, there is a beautiful thing that is a great gift that most of us hold in our pockets. But it is also a great curse. Why? In the moments where we have opportunity to rest, we so often just fill it with that. Can I encourage you this morning, and please hear this, I'm not up here trying to just bash on phones. Please just hear this from the heart of one who struggles with this maybe as much or more than you do. Can we just take time to put these away? Well, what if I have a text from a client? What if somebody needs something from me? What if I miss something on Instagram? What if something happened in the world that I need to see for my news? Do you trust Him? Do I trust Him? Or do I constantly have to be connected to that? Or would it be better, friends, for me to be constantly connected to Him? I'm not trying to throw restrictions or heavy weights on you. Honestly, what I want is freedom for your soul. And you, in your time with the Lord, I'd love for you to just pray through that. Talk through that with Him. I think it could be amazing how that would allow you greater rest than what you experience today. What I experience today. So friends, why could Jesus sleep? Why could He slow down? Why didn't things really rattle Him? Yes, it was hard. It was difficult. We read the text. He cried out in agony. But He ultimately trusted His Father. Clear to the end. So can you sleep? Can I sleep? Can you slow down? Can I slow down? Can things that happen in our lives not really shake us because we trust a sovereign Father who stands over it all? Who's made promises to us in His Word that He will not fail to keep? Christianity should be marked by rest because it is built on trust. If you get nothing else this morning, I hope this is what you take away. That Christianity should be built, or excuse me, Christianity should be marked by rest because it is built on trust. This doesn't mean we're not hard workers. Wait for that series. What it does mean is that the testimony that we rest on is my faith is in someone else. So Jesus' followers should be marked by rest because they trust. I 
am a follower of Jesus. Many of you in this room claim to be followers of Jesus. Do we rest? And could others tell? Let's pray. God, this is a tough thing. We have much going on in our lives. We're faced on many different fronts with decisions that need to be made. And I pray that You would help us to embrace rest as part of the mission. Jesus did. And I pray that You would grow our trust in You. Which is what really allows us to experience that rest. Help us in our weakness, be our strength. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.